You know, if any of your children have left the nest, you're well aware that your role as a parent has drastically changed. At least it should. And at times, our adult children may be a source of frustration and even heartache. It's a story Mary DeMuth knows all too well. Our guest this morning is the author of Love, Pray, Listen, Parenting Your Wayward Adult Children with Joy. Mary, welcome to the morning conversation. Hey, it is so good to be here. I'm really grateful. Yeah, so excited to talk to you about a subject that isn't exciting when when you're <laughs> with it in our lives as parents. But we're going to talk a bit about wayward children slash children adults. Some call them prodigals. Yeah, how to process that as parents along the way. So yeah, just just to kind of get us going here, Mary. So you can you have a book. It's called Love, Pray, Listen: Parenting Your Wayward Adult Kids with Joy. First of all, why the book? How, how did it come about that that was in your heart to write that? I was noticing that a lot of my peers were really struggling with their joy levels mm. based on the decisions that their adult kids were making. And, you know, we as a couple, we're not immune f- from that either. When we wanted to find other parents to talk about it, there was almost this, it was like a secret or a shame Mm. or something, which is kind of odd because it's someone else's decision. But still, we were having a hard time finding camaraderie. But when we did speak about it openly, uh, we began to have that kind of, oh, I'm not alone in this. And this can be talked about. And there is a biblical way to work through it in a way that would honor Jesus, keep your joy, and help you to love those kids with everything inside of you. And so, as I prayed about the book, uh, the Lord dropped in the love passage in 1 Corinthians 13, and I thought, yeah, let's unpack, let's exegete 1 Corinthians 13, but then apply it to parents of adult kids, and what does it look like to be a patient mom and dad of an adult child? What does it look like to be kind? What does it look like not to be proud? And that's a huge one. Um, and so, that's kind of the kernel of why I wrote the book. Yeah, love that. So, you have how many kids, Mary? I have enough. <laughs> <laughs> Is that <eight>? I have, <laughs> no, I, I'm not like 19 kids and counting. I have three adult children, okay. um, all 30 and under, but um, definitely like between 25 and 30. Yeah. So do any of your three have a season of prodigalness in their journey? Yes, I have a couple working on their testimonies right now as we speak. Um, and, I love uh, that. Positive, That's a great way to say that. That is a great way to say that. I love that. Because just think. Yeah. Just think about the great testimony they're going to have. It's going to be awesome. What is it about us as parents that gets kind of emotionally caught up into the choices that our adult kids are making? If you love someone, you'll want them to make great choices. And when they walk down a path that you as an adult know, that's not going to end up well. You know, of course, there's just grief involved. So of course, there's that. But I think also there's two other things at play. One is when you're parenting them and they're under your roof, you're moving from high control to low control, right? But some people keep kind of it along the same line of a a same modicum of control. And so when they leave, it's like a divorce in a way, because you're going from this level of control to no control, and it feels very disorienting. And I think the other thing is a bit of tenderly, a bit of idolatry of the American family of if you're a real Christian, we somehow bought into this belief, even though it may not have been stated overtly, that if you buy these parenting books and you 
you do all the right things, it's like a machine and you put your kid into the machine and they come out like a little robot, but they're doing the right thing. There's also this level of grief of, but I did all the right things, which is silly because we didn't do all the right things. We're a bunch of frail people, but God's promise did not come true to me. If you train up a child in the way he should go, he or she is not going to depart from it when they're old. And so we have this like faith crisis of it didn't work. It was not pragmatic. I put them into the machine and it didn't work. So one of the things I I hear in that, Mary, is we've got to be willing to let go of control. How do we know? What are some ways that maybe some indications that we haven't let go yet? I think if you have had an interaction with your adult child and you may not be like overtly controlling them, but you are with your emotions or the way you react and their response is to pull away. Part of that could just be their own sin. You know, like if they're pulling away after interactions consistently, then it is time to just look back in and say, am I trying to to do this? The other is to go back to your 20s in your mind and think about how you would have felt if your parents, when you're 25 years old, were trying to control the outcome of your life and how that felt. You're supposed to go from high to low control. Uh, as they, you know, start driving and they're, you're, you're working your way out of a dro- job, you're turning into a mentor and a coach rather than a parent. I mean, you'll always be their parent, of course, but I think those are some of the indications that things are not working out quite the way you want them to. Mira, I want to kind of dive into even just the title of your book, because I think there's just a lot there. So it's Love, Pray, and Listen. It sounds like a prescription. It sounds, and I think it is simple. It's not easy. <laughs> So two different things, simple and easy. (laughs) First of all, let's talk about love. So as you think about parenting that child, that wayward child, what's love got to do with it? Yes, love has everything to do with everything. And of course, it's the marker. Jesus says, love God, love others. Like those are the the two basic commandments. The question is, how does that look? Mm -hmm. And part of that is the golden rule and going back to your 20s in your mind. How would you have liked to be loved and treated by your parents when you were in your 20s? Um, And not in an enabling way, but just like, what does love look like to you in those situations? And then, you know, the whole book is an unpacking of what is is love? What is agape? What what does it look like to unconditionally? love someone. Um, And there's a part of that that does not rejoice when things go wrong. And so it doesn't mean that love is approving or applauding bad behavior. That's not actually, that's not love. Mm -hmm. And what I am finding with some parents is that they don't like the behavior of their children or their practices. And so then they begin in order in the guise of love, they begin applauding those things rather than the tension that we hold as Christians is walking down the middle of that of I am in the world, but not of the world. I'm going to love you no matter what you choose, but it doesn't mean that I have to like what you choose. That doesn't mean I'm going to harangue you and talk to you about it all the time. I'm going to say it once and move on. But but it also doesn't mean I abandon my beliefs to follow after your footsteps, if that makes sense. We talked about love, Mary. Let's talk about pray. So love, pray, listen. So give us some thoughts and insights on praying for our wayward adult children. You know, that is the one thing that we actually can control. <laughs> and that's that was why I wrote the book with those three words, because you can't control what your children do. You can't make their outcomes a certain way, but you can always love them. You can always pray for them. You can always, if you're still in relationship with them, you can always listen to them. And I feel like prayer is such a powerful tool that we 
we forget. The problem is, is when we do read that verse about, you know, train up a child and we do live in an instantaneous culture and having been someone who's lived overseas as a missionary and come back to the US culture, I see it a little more keenly just because I was out and I came back in. But we tend to think, okay, my prayer isn't effective because right now God is not answering it. And the end of that verse says, when he is old, he will not depart from it. So maybe 25 isn't old, right. maybe 50 is old. <laughs> you know, You know, I've thought about that. Like huh. there have been some prayers that I have prayed that have been 40 years in the making. And it's been such a sweet answer to prayer. And to God, it's just a snap of the fingers, really. And so I just would encourage people to, to persevere in prayer. A friend of mine gave me this quote by a lady named Joan from her church. And Joan said, sometimes it takes God a long time to do something suddenly. And I think that is a very good way to look at prayer. Mm. Persevere in it. You can do it. No, no one can thwart you from it. Keep at it. Love, pray, listen. Love, pray. Okay, let's talk about listen. You know, I think that's what we've lost in culture lately, and maybe not lately, but over the past 10 years, we've become bullhorns where we're just yelling our opinions at each other on social media, and then we've taken it to the family table. And it's more like we all just need to air our opinions, but no one's listening to anybody. And so we have learned, and I think part of that was being overseas and living in France, where people in France just want to have conversations and they'll even argue with you, but then they'll kiss both of your cheeks and leave. And I'm like, that's weird because I'm such an American. I'm like, I must win the argument. And if I don't win, then it means I'm a loser and we all lose. But they're like, I love to have arguments and I still love you. And it's a weird thing. I'm hard to deal with, but it taught me something. There is an art to conversation and there is an art to listen to the heart of your child. And our kids and us do not agree on a lot of things, but we can come to some consensus if we did, if we can have conversations that dig at what the issue is. And so, for instance, we could talk about abortion and that would be like, that could divide a family in half, but we can learn to listen and have a conversation and say, can let's agree. We all believe in the importance of human flourishing. We all believe that it is important. Moms who have no support are have support and we can talk about that and have conviviality there but that comes by listening to the heart of another and not just shooting them down immediately love pray listen parenting your wayward adult kids with joy parenting your adult wayward kids with joy is that really practical and possible (laughs) Well, I can say I'm living proof of that. And I know there are others. I found them. So uh, I can give some evidence that way. But what I did find, and, and really the primary reason of writing this book was seeing all these depressed parents of adult kids. And I believe that this is probably the most fruitful part of my life and my ministry is when you have that extra time, the kids aren't in the home anymore. And what better way for thwarting ministry than for the enemy of our souls to take us out because we're sad about the the decisions our kids are making. And so if he if he wins in their life for a moment and then he wins by stealing our joy, then he gets a double victory. And by golly, I'm not going to let him do that. There can be so much joy, but I will give one tip. And the one tip is you have to mourn it. You can't stuff it. What I found that when I didn't mourn it, 
I, I, I literally had blinders on. I could not see the small ways God was working in my kids' lives because I was so overwhelmed by the sadness. I worked through it. I mean, there's a constant working through, but I, I made, made a choice to work through it. And this beautiful thing happened. Boop! It, uh, this, uh, my blinders came off and I began to be able to see that God was at work. And so that's my encouragement is mourn it acknowledge that it hurts, cry out to God. He already knows that you're upset about this. And then ask him, Jesus, please show me the breadcrumbs of what you are doing. And it will bring you so much joy. Mary, as we're talking this morning about, you know, parenting our wayward adult children, what are some mistakes that you feel like either you've made, you've seen parents make while the kids are at home that make it that much harder when the kids leave to potentially be able to continue to parent them with joy as a wayward children? One thing that I remember is just, anger and those regrets that I have of get to me and then taking it out on the kids and yelling. So I have made it a point that when I remember some of those things, I call up my adult kids and ask for forgiveness. And I think that has contributed to the atmosphere of our relationship. We actually traveled together as a family. We just got back from Europe, which was so beautiful and amazing. And we all are coming from different perspectives, but we honor each other and my husband and I have apologized a lot. And I also think another thing just to get to, at your question better is this hyper control that happens in the teenage years. There's many things I've said that I've had to go back and apologize for because first of all, you're just learning how to let go because you haven't had to before. So there's all this grace that's there. But second of all, there's this feeling of anxiety of, ah, I can't, you know, corral them in. They were so much easier when I could change their diapers. So there's that panic that sets in mm. for parents. Yeah. Well, I'm hearing a couple different things in there, Mary, which I love both sides of that. One is the, you know, if you are a parent right now, be careful how you process your emotions and that you process your emotions so that you don't get that on your kids, right? And you don't build, you know, barriers and lack of trust and hurt that carries into adulthood because you spewed your disappointment and hurt on them in a negative way. So you got to process that well, right? But I also hear hope for parents who did spew their emotion and get the, some of their hurt and stuff on their kids, hurt their relationship. You can always make that right as an adult. You can engage your adult children and say you're sorry <laughs> and seek to repair and say, hey, I wasn't a perfect parent. I wanted to be, but man, would you forgive me? It's so important. And that humility and humbleness will get you really far as a parent. Another thing I would just say too, just to give people peace and, and rest and joy is that um, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve had a perfect parent and they had a perfect environment and they both rebelled. And from that point on, billions of people, including us, have rebelled against a beautiful, holy God who did everything right. And so if God's children in a perfect environment rebelled, then we don't need to carry the weight of, oh, you know, there's a causation there of I was an imperfect parent, which 100% of us are. So therefore they rebelled. It's not, it doesn't work that way because in a perfect environment, we still rebelled. <laughs> so we'll find ways to rebel no matter what. <laughs> Mary, speak to the parent right now who they're listening this morning. They've got a wayward adult child and they realize they haven't done a very good job. Like what would be your encouragement to them and what would be a first step that you would encourage them to do? First, I would pray and ask the Lord to show you maybe some ways that you could apologize 
And he's very gracious to give bring those things to mind, but not in a condemning way. Second, I would say 100% of us have parenting regrets. So there is grace. The blood of Jesus covers you from that, of course. And that the third is that relationships take time and rebuilding takes a lot of time. And it's not going to be like you apologize and instantaneously your kids are like, you are the greatest mom and dad I've ever had. It, ju- it just takes time. And if there has been moral injury there, it will take some time to get through. Um, and also I would say just for your own sake, forgive yourself and forgive your kids. Uh, it's That's a journey. It doesn't happen overnight, but just work and operate in that space of forgiveness. And then of course, pray. I'm adding like extra points to my sermon here, but I do have um, I do have a resource that's free. People can go to marydemuth.com slash LPL, which stands for Love, Pray, Listen, LPL. And I've got 52 prayers. They're free that you can pray over your kids, um, one for every week of the year, in case you don't have the words or the language to really pray for your adult kids who are wayward. Mary, we spent the morning talking about a book that's not your latest book, but a book that was very relevant, I think, this time of year as we hit the holidays and, you know, the healthiness or lack of healthiness in relationship with our adult kids kind of comes to play and rears itself up. But your latest book is a 90-day Bible reading challenge. (laughs) Read the whole Bible, change your whole life. So let's talk about that a little bit. I'd love to hear about that. I am so excited about this book. And so it just released and I'm going to actually lead people through a 90 day challenge starting January 1st. And they can go to marriedmuth.com slash Bible. Yes. So I started reading the Bible rapidly about five years ago, and it's been one of the best spiritual practices I've ever done in my Christian life. Helps you to make connections of the story of God, the story of salvation, the story of people, the story of reconciliation throughout the whole Bible, because you're reading it in such a truncated period of time. And so so I walk you through that process in this book and I give you little little bits of anchoring along the way. And boy, it's been really fun to get feedback so far. People whose lives are being changed and their literacy of in knowing the Bible has like amped up a hundred percent. So yes, that book I wrote it. I'm super excited about it. If I say I'm gonna I'm gonna try this, I'm gonna try to read through the Bible in ninety days. What kind of time am I needing to commit? in a given day? To be very honest, it takes about an hour a day, depending on the the speed of your reading, but you can also listen to the Bible. So if you're a commuter or you take walks every day, my advice is to listen on like 1.5 speed so you can get through it in that hour. And that makes the challenge great because you're getting all sides. You're, You're reading and you're getting the auditory experience of it. It's lovely. When I saw that, I'm like, I'm intrigued. If you did that for a year, you read through the Bible four times. Yeah. The first time I read through, I read through in two months. It was so fun and it was a challenge, definitely a challenge, but it was so good for me in terms of even me teaching the Bible. Like I now have the whole story in my head and I know where to go for things. And that's just a great gift to receive. And then all of the like really great things of if you're spending an hour with the Lord every day that way, it also just changes your normal life. So that's awesome too. I'm sure part of it is too, you you don't have to read all that in one sitting, right? You can do... Mm -hmm. Something in the morning, something in the evening, or something morning, noon in the evening. You can kind of divide it up. Yes, and I actually did it that way. I divided it into three pieces if that works better for your life. Well, Mary, thank you. This has all been so helpful, and it's given me personally so much to think about. I already have a list in my head of some folks I want to share this podcast with and point them to your resources. Mary, thank you for spending the morning with us. Thank you so much. I appreciate it.